0: Hi, I'm Marcus Silas, And I'm Japheth Chu. And you're listening to the Dip Chew podcast. On the Dip Chew podcast, we host honest conversations about faith and church. We also speak to guests from around the world and explore what it means to follow Jesus. We're excited to be on this journey of listening and learning. And we hope that you are too. Our guest today is Andrew Decourt. Andrew's passion is seeing the precious value of each person, encouraging love and challenging cultural patterns that devalue others. He is the founding director of the Institute for Faith and Flourishing and the co-founder of the Neighbor Love Movement. He holds a PhD in Ethics from the University of Chicago and has lectured in Ethics, Theology, and Ethiopian Studies at Wheaton College, the Ethiopian Graduate School of Theology, the University of Bonn, and the American Theological Initiative. He is the author of Bonhoeffer's New Beginning, Ethics After Devastation, and the teacher of the video course Neighbor Love, a revolutionary idea that could save our world. Andrew and his wife Lily live and work in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia.
1: You know what I find fascinating? I find fascinating that so many of the people we've talked to have a connection with Bonhoeffer.
0: That is interesting, yes. And I remember sitting in your car with Lauren and just listening to podcasts about Bonhoeffer. (laughs) I think it was professors um, having coffee. (laughs) Professors in room
2: having coffee.
1: (laughs) Yeah, talking about Bonhoeffer, right? Before we go into the conversation, I, I was really excited to talk with Andrew because um, I follow him on Facebook. I don't really know how I came to follow him on Facebook, but it was during the time of George Floyd's um, murder and, and, and the protests that were going on. And he wrote some stuff that I found so deeply resonating. Um, so I added him on Facebook and then started a conversation with him at some point. And just to see some of the stuff he writes, man, it just convicts me to love better. And I believe like that was what we were feeling as he was talking about neighbor love, right? There was this like, oh, like, why don't we get it? Why can't we get it? We can. That's the thing, we can. So, you know, it's not that we think it's impossible, it's think we think it's possible. So then the frustration changes from like, ah, it's an impossible standard to why the heck don't we do this already? You know, like it's just this sense of like we can and we have the potential to love fullheartedly with all of our being and to see that transform our world and so without any further ado here is today's conversation let's go yeah how are you doing andrew
3: Doing well, doing well. Uh, there's a lot going on in this season, trying to draw closer to God, uh, spend time in silence and prayer and listening. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in Ethiopia. But yeah, I'm excited to, to talk with you guys today. And-
1: yeah, because I, I mean, I've, I've been keeping up a little bit with what's going on in Ethiopia concerning um, the conflict with, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the of the group. Is it TPLF?
3: That's right.
1: And also with Eritrea, right? And yeah, so maybe we can start with uh, how you ended up in Ethiopia and and how you ended up with this um, neighbor love movement.
3: I was born and raised outside of Chicago in the Midwest of the United States. And in high school, I really discovered uh, the life and, and passion of Jesus. And Um, Started studying the scriptures for several hours a day and praying and seeking God in my youth group and becoming involved in preaching and teaching and leading worship and leading prayer and leading um, community service in my neighborhood, which was a, a gang infested neighborhood outside of Chicago. And so as I grew in loving Jesus, my mind was expanding and I was asking new questions and critical thinking was being cultivated in my life. And I started reading actively. And um, N.T. Wright was a major influence on me as a high school student. And I found, you know, this, this kid that loved playing basketball and video games, you know, reading 500-page books about Jesus and the New Testament. and I started to teach myself Greek and Hebrew in high school. And then I went to Wheaton College and just continued to discover the message of the Bible that God loves the poor, that God is passionately concerned about orphans and widows, that God wants just courts and fair processes and generosity for the vulnerable, um, to raise our voice on behalf of those whose voices have been suppressed and oppressed. And so in college, I I met with one of my mentors at, at Calvary Church outside of Chicago, and I said, I want to have an experience of serving and learning in another context outside the United States. And he encouraged me to come to Ethiopia, where I'm recording this conversation now that was in 2004. So that was 17 years ago. And I I, um, as a a Wheaton College theology and philosophy student, I came to Ethiopia for a few months in the summer, and I worked at a social center for women and children, and I was extremely moved by the kindness of the Ethiopian people. I was also Mm. heartbroken by the level of poverty um, in the country and also deeply inspired by the rich history and culture of Ethiopian civilization. Uh, one of the oldest countries in the world, one of the great ancient civilizations and also one of the oldest continuous Christian churches in the world. Uh, so the combination of human relationship, rich Christian history, social problems really captured my heart and For the last seventeen years, i mean i 've lived half of my life in the United States and half of my life in ethiopia um, so that relationship was really deepened through becoming a pastor in Ethiopia at a growing local church. And then I met my wife, Lily, in 2007. She's a, an Ethiopian born and raised here in Addis Ababa. And uh, we dated for three years and got married in 2010. And then I went on to start a PhD program at the University of Chicago in ethics. I have to tell you just a quick story about some of the background. In 2005, I was a pastor here in Addis at this this young, growing Ethiopian international church. And uh, there had been an election in the city. In response, there were public protests from people claiming that the election had been unfair. And the response was that the government killed around 200 people in the streets. I mean, at that time, there was extraordinary fear and grief and anger and loss in the city. I can still remember hearing the machine gun fire from the police that were opening fire on people in the city, not far from where I was staying in Addis. And in the aftermath of that, guys, it was like the body politic had been ripped apart. And I started asking questions that changed my life. And questions can be the beginning of profound transformation. What is the relationship of the death of Jesus and the death of our neighbors? What is the relationship of the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that flows in our streets? What's the relationship between claiming a life-changing relationship with Jesus as Lord and the political order and justice in society? And those questions really drove me into asking, what has the Christian faith said about justice, public life, being a member of a flourishing community throughout the century? So I went to the University of Chicago. And I spent several years searching the Christian tradition from the time of Jesus until really today from philosophical, political, mm. theological perspectives. And that culminated in studying Dietrich Bonhoeffer for my dissertation. I studied literally every surviving word of that extraordinary man who was a pastor. He was a professor. He was a resistor of Nazi hatred and, and violence in, in Nazi Germany um, and I worked on the question of how do we make new beginnings after we have been devastated? How do we start over and experience healing as Christians after we become deeply confused and compromised in our relationships with one another? Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian who loves Jesus, who loves the scriptures, who loves people, and who believes that we are called to cross boundaries, uh, boundaries of culture, culture boundaries of geography but also boundaries of politics and religion to build relationships and for me this really comes down to obedience to the command of Jesus to love God which is the ultimate Mm. boundary crossing between God and humanity um, and to love our neighbor as ourselves across every boundary of culture ethnicity religion politics Uh, so that's a little tiny bit about myself
1: It's interesting to me, you mentioned that you dove into the word of God, you taught yourself Greek and Hebrew, and then you came to this place where you saw the concern that God has for the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, um, the poor, the disenfranchised in our world. That's not a common place that people who dwell into the Greek and Hebrew end up. I mean, we both went to Bible school. I went to a, a more uh, a traditional conservative Bible school. Japheth went to IHOP University. In my school, in the setting that I was in, those who were very interested in Greek and Hebrew kind of stayed in the scriptures and it never really transcended into a, a practical concern for the poor, for the disenfranchised. So I, I'm, I'm just really curious, was there something different about about your story? Is there something different? because yeah, it, it's, it''s it is different. It's unique, you know.
3: I think from the very beginning of my study of the Bible, there was this sense that the Bible is not the object of our attention. The Bible is more of a window or a lens through which we look to see the heart of God, to see our neighbor, to see our society. Uh, If you look at the teachings of the Hebrew prophets, the teachings of John the Baptist, the teachings of Jesus, they are not obsessing about scripture, but they are using scripture as a lens to look at their society and to build living, flourishing, just relationships with other people. So I think that this... This sense that the Bible is living and active, and it's not meant to be the object of our attention, but it's meant to be the lens of our attention, was extremely important to me. I had a professor at Wheaton College who told me the Bible is not a lock, it's a key. It's not meant to close things down and imprison things, it's meant to open things up and liberate things. And so when I read Genesis 1, and it tells me that literally everything that I can see, especially people, has been made by God. How can my eyes not open up in new ways when Genesis 4 tells me that my relationship with my brother is fundamentally uh, defining my relationship with God and that when I do violence, it cries out to God? How can it not change the way that I look at other people? I mean, I remember reading the Hebrew text in Genesis 4 and seeing how it expresses that the, the ground is literally crying out as it absorbs the blood. of of Abel, and I was so struck by that imagery that the world is morally alive with God's desire for justice, but especially when we read about Jesus and he is traveling and meeting women and children and marginalized people and sick people and foreigners and religious leaders, and he's having conversations about the meaning of loving God and loving, loving the neighbor in the ordinary places of life. How can it remain trapped in the Bible? It's, it's about how we live. So, yeah, from the beginning, the Bible was a call to be in and for the world for me, not a call to be trapped in kind of scholarly knowledge or kind of religious identity. It was always this kind of push into these adventurous, risky relationships with God, people and and creation itself.
1: That's such a it's a refreshing and fascinating take on on scripture. I mean, you know what I'm hearing you say is that scripture should be the lens by which we we look at our world. But unfortunately, most of us even ourselves Christians, we use the lens of our world to look at scripture. Right, we're weighed down by our cultural perspectives, our cultural baggage. That sometimes we don't even want to admit that it's culture, right? We, we, we prescribe a one-way prescription of what an ethics of engagement or an ethics of living should be, without recognizing that it's cultural. But what I'm hearing you say is it should be the the opposite. It it should very much be scripture is the lens that we see our world in.
3: Absolutely, Marcus. And if I could just add one thing, Jesus said that all of scripture hangs on the love of God and the love of neighbor. Hmm. This is Hmm. powerful. Jesus Hmm. is saying, if reading the Bible doesn't lead you out of yourself and into the love of God and into Hmm. the love of your neighbor, Hmm. the Hmm. Bible falls apart and you Hmm. have completely missed the point. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we know that Jesus defined the neighbor in Luke 10 as the Samaritan. And mm-hmm. who was the Samaritan? The Samaritan was the ethnic other or the ethnic outsider. Uh, John tells us that Jews and Samaritans wouldn't even drink mm-hmm. from the same glass because mm-hmm. Samaritans were seen as dirty or contaminating. The Samaritan was the religious heretic. They didn't mm-hmm. worship in the temple. They rejected the temple. Mm-hmm. They didn't follow all of the scriptures outside of the Torah. Um, The Samaritans were political enemies. We know from Josephus that Samaritans had brought a dead body and thrown it into the temple court um, soon Mm -hmm. before the time of Jesus. And that conflict between Judea and Sumeria was part of the demise of the monarchy in ancient Israel. Mm -hmm. So, the Samaritan was an ethnic, religious, and political enemy in Jesus' context. Jesus says, Mm -hmm. that person is your enemy. That person is the one you are called to love. And so when Jesus says, Scripture falls apart unless you love God and your neighbor, Jesus is mm-hmm. saying that unless Scripture is calling you out of the boundaries of your own cultural and political and religious limitations, you've missed what God is saying. You've missed what God is asking for and revealing. And I wish, brothers, that we could return to this lens of Scripture is this reading calling me to love beyond my boundaries? Or is my reading simply reconfirming my positions, strengthening the walls between myself and others, and making me feel superior to others? And Jesus is just blunt. If scripture doesn't make you love across boundaries, people who are different than you, you've missed what God is doing.
1: This idea of loving your neighbor, I just want to relate it to Bonhoeffer's Christ for the Other, because in a time when Nazism was about German nationalism, the the folk first, here was Bonhoeffer talking about availing yourself for another, right? Essentially, I think that's how he sees the kenosis, Jesus emptying himself is emptying himself for the sake of the other, if, if, if I'm interpreting his writings correctly. And that's the hard work, isn't it? Because it's so much easier to, I call it drive by evangelism, where you yell at someone that they're going to hell if they don't repent and follow Jesus. And then to think that we've done the work of the gospel, as you mentioned, the Samaritans were in effect political and, and religious enemies of the Jewish people, and yet in in First John we read that the ultimate test is still love. It's all making this connection that that it's it, you know the Christian life is so much more than finding salvation. And and and, and our in our conversation with um uh, the the South African theologian and ethicist, um, he's from a Methodist background and he talked about some of the lesser known writings of John Wesley, and one of it includes. Um, social holiness, this idea that personal holiness is not complete until it's lived out in a social setting. It's not like we don't have these teachings, right? They're there, you know? Like, we can read and study, but but somehow, like Jesus said, we, we miss the point, right? It falls apart because either we love God and love ourselves and not our neighbor, or we love ourselves and we love our neighbors and not God, or we love ourselves, right it's rarely love god and your neighbor as yourself as as is how jesus put it right
3: So after I finished my PhD at the University of Chicago in ethics, my wife Lily and I felt strongly called by God to return to Ethiopia and serve. So in 2016, I became a professor of ethics and public theology at the Ethiopian Graduate School of Theology in Addis Ababa. During the years that I was a professor there, Ethiopia went through increasing social upheaval We were seeing nationwide protests. We were seeing mass arrests, nationwide states of emergency, mass killing, and increasing fear that Ethiopia was disintegrating as a society. And so, as a professor of ethics who was deeply influenced by Jesus and Bonhoeffer and some of the other people that we've mentioned, I was asking myself, what is God asking us to do in this time and place? And my dear friend and co-founder, Dr. Takale Naga, and I got together and we're talking and praying. And we, we came to this interpretation of conflict in Ethiopia. We saw the root of the conflict as othering. And we see othering as, mm. as seeing people as unrelated or less than ourselves.
2: Wow.
3: Um, and this othering was really taking place across ethnic, religious, and political lines. Um, If you were different, you were increasingly seen as a stranger or enemy. And we believe that the way we see others defines our relationships Mm. and our relationships define the quality of our society. And so as this othering was surging and intensifying in Ethiopia, it was no surprise that we were seeing increasing the conflict, killing and fear of civil war and genocide. And so we went back into the deep resources of our spiritual uh, traditions and we said, what if we learned again to see the other as our neighbor, not as a stranger, not as an enemy, but someone who is connected to us and has precious value simply because they exist. And the powerful thing is that neighbor love is at the center of the religious traditions that inspire 98% of the Ethiopian people. So, Ethiopia is in the Horn of Africa. It has over 110 million people. As I mentioned, it's got some of the most ancient Christianity and Islam in the world. And at the center of Jewish and Christian and Islamic traditions in Ethiopia is this vision to see and treat the other as a neighbor. And um, we were, we were Dr. Takalain and I were traveling in Ethiopia and doing some teaching, and in 2018, we were in the far east of the country in and in, uh, near the Somalian border, um, speaking at City Hall to a group of a few hundred high school students, and I was teaching about why we should love our enemies and see even our enemies as a neighbor. And I'll never forget, guys, that after that speaking event, a young Muslim high school student came up to me named Ferdosa and she said, Dr. Andrew, no one has ever told me to love my enemies Mm. before today, Mm. but starting today, I'll love my enemies and I'll teach others to love their enemies. And and I thought, how many Ferdosa's are there throughout Ethiopia that are waiting to be inspired and called to a message to see the other person as your neighbor. And this was Mm. happening at a time where there was, um, increasing ethnic cleansing and displacement happening in Ethiopia. And so um, we started asking this question: how can we inspire young Ethiopians to see and treat the other? As a neighbor across boundaries of ethnicity, religion, and politics, um, and and this is rooted in the Amharic word balanjera. Uh, balanjera, literally means someone that you would eat food with. Um, injera is the daily bread that most Ethiopians eat um, every single day. Um, in the Lord's prayer, when it yes. says daily bread, mm-hmm. yeah. um, it says in Amharic, "Give us this day our daily injera." Um, and the ye at the end of Balanjara, ye is an exp- uh, the possessive that expresses affection. My neighbor, the person that I am happy to eat with, and so we were. It was really a, a kind of dream. Of how can we move from raising our hands against one another and a, displacing and attacking and killing one another to putting our hands in the same plate? and breaking bread and eating with one another with a sense of affection. Mm -hmm. So the neighbor love movement or balangerie started by designing a covenant that we invite young people to commit to. Let me tell Mm -hmm. you it really quickly. It says, today I covenant to love my neighbor as myself. Every woman, man, and child is my neighbor across every boundary and identity. I choose to see and treat my neighbor with value, respect, and practical compassion today I say, yes, I am an ambassador of neighbor love. So this is the covenant that we ask people to commit to. And then we have seven practices rooted in our bodies that we call people to embody uh, as the fulfillment of this covenant. So it starts with our eyes. I choose to literally see you as my neighbor rather than a stranger or enemy. I won't overlook you, With my mouth, Mm. I choose to speak to you with truth and respect and kindness. I refuse to use dehumanizing or labeling words. Mm. With my ears, I choose to open myself and listen to you with patience. Even when we disagree, I refuse to close my ears and only listen to voices that confirm my opinion. Mm. Um, with my heart, I will open myself to your joy and pain rather than celebrating when you hurt and being sad when you succeed. So the heart becomes this place of radical empathy. Mm. Um, with my hands, I choose to serve you uh, with with compassion and justice. I won't point my finger at you in blame, or I won't raise my fist against you in violence. And with my feet, I will move closer to people who are different than me and walk with people outside of my social circle. And I love this one, guys, literally stepping out of your own community to say, who can I walk with that may be different than me, that may disagree with me, that may have a different point of view? And then finally, we talk about using the brain as a practice of neighbor love. I will integrate what I believe with how I live. Because we know that lots of us have lots of beliefs, but our bodily behavior is Mm. so different. Um, So we're calling for a reintegration. So we start with this basic commitment to love the neighbor. And then we say, how do we do it? Start with your body. You don't need Mm. money, internet, technology. Start with your body. How do we see? How do we listen? How do we speak? How do we feel? Mm. Who are we walking with? Let your body. Be the birthplace Mm. of the neighbor love movement. And we spread this covenant and these practices um, through lots of networking. We have built relationships with religious leaders, political leaders, Mm. cultural leaders, homeless children, uh, ordinary men, youth, women. Mm. Um, We spread this movement through a social media campaign. We're on Facebook, Telegram, Instagram, YouTube, as you know, Uh, Social media is so powerful for youth. Um, And right now, social media is spreading a lot of hate speech Mm -hmm. and calls for violence in Ethiopia. So we're trying to provide an alternative daily message Mm -hmm. that is calling us to see and treat the other person as precious. We post content that's Christian, that's Muslim, that's non-religious and purely democratic. We are crossing boundaries to say this is our shared covenant to love the other as our neighbor. Uh, we do lots of events here in Addis Ababa, at universities, at churches, at social, uh, civil society organizations, with government platforms, with non-government platforms. So the neighbor love movement is trying to spread this vision. The other isn't your enemy. Mm, yeah. The other is your precious neighbor. And we can live this life through a covenant, a basic commitment and practices rooted in our body. And this can permeate our online life. It can permeate our interactions in daily life, in our Mm. professional and vocational life. So as you can see, guys, I'm really, really fired up about what would happen in Ethiopia, Mm. in the United States, in Southeast Asia, if we changed how we see others. And again, this takes me to that thesis. The way we see others defines our relationships and our relationships define the quality of our society. So what if we saw the precious value of the other? And that's why our logo has a diamond in the center and a compass around it. When we can see the precious value of the other, more precious than a diamond, we have the compass we need for a truly meaningful, flourishing life. And that's what we hope for in Ethiopia and around the world is human flourishing in love and justice.
0: That is so, so good <laughs> You know, I uh, bring it back to to the church You know, um, and to Christian society And in recent years we have We have seen a high percentage of Christians Often choose self-preservation Over the things that you were talking about, right? Like sacrificial love When it comes to the refugees You know, to people of different races um, And even the poor you know? um, So this is not new in the church How are... Um, I guess the principles of the Enable of Movement, the things that you were talking about, how does it make us as believers better followers of Jesus?
3: Yes, yes. It's such an important question. Uh, you're right. Followers of Jesus can easily be conformed to culture. Mm. And culture is often defined by the principle of self-preservation. How can we increase our power? How can we increase our wealth? Uh, How can we increase uh, the superiority of our identity, which is often through religious, political, historical symbols, heroes, traditions? Paul said, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. And so he is alerting us there that we are all tempted to be conformed, shaped, molded, according to the patterns of this world, and we have this counter-cultural, even revolutionary call to a renewed mind, Mm -hmm. an enlivened mind, an illuminated and enlightened mind that is breaking through the boundaries of what culture offers us. I think the Neighbor Love Movement helps us be renewed in a few ways. First, Mm -hmm. it gives us a reminder. Jesus' command to us is to love our neighbor across every boundary that culture and society builds. If you remember in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us his final mission. And what does he say? He doesn't say Mm -hmm. build churches. He doesn't say create Christians. He says make disciples or students and teach them to obey what I have commanded you. And what has Jesus commanded The clearest command that Jesus articulates in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is to love your neighbor as yourself, rooted in the love of God. And so, the Neighbor Love Movement is giving a reminder, if we want to call ourselves followers of Jesus, Mm -hmm. we have a command that we have received to live and embody as our core mission, not Mm -hmm. building up some identity for ourselves, not increasing our power not piling up wealth and money, privilege, We have a call to love radically across boundaries. Mm. It starts with a reminder. And and I'm reminded of that young student, Fredosa, that I mentioned a minute ago. She said, I've never heard this call to love my enemy as a a neighbor. And I I don't think that she's unique as a Muslim. I think many of us Christians have also forgotten that this is the core of Jesus' teaching. The neighbor love movement gives us a covenant to make. You know, a covenant is... Fundamental to the biblical imagination. It simply means a radical commitment that defines your life. Mm. And we ask people to make a decision yes, I will choose to obey Jesus and to put this commitment to love at the center of who I am. And we ask people to print this covenant out and put it on their mirror, in their car, Mm. in their office, on their desk, somewhere they can see it every day to say, yes, I've made this commitment Mm. to love. And then these seven practices help us to know how to get started. Um, I don't need to be some wealthy, powerful individual that has fame and prestige. I can be a practitioner of love across boundaries just Mm -hmm. with my bodies. And this is some of the hardest work, brothers. Mm -hmm. And we have a, a, a tool in the neighbor love movement called the ambassador's body checkup. And it's a simple tool that helps us look at our body and say, where am I weak or blind? Or just unpracticed in loving my neighbor. And we Mm. we rooted in the body again. So my eyes. Who do I overlook and not see as a neighbor? Mm. It could be a housemaid. It could be a street child. It could be a daily laborer who's building the buildings that we inhabit and use. It could be someone from another ethnic group. It could be someone from another religion. How do my eyes need to open? My ears. What are the words and topics and questions that make me shut down? Because I feel angry or resentful or afraid. And how can I train my ears to be more patient Mm. and more courageous to listen? Again, our mouths. What are the words that come out of my mouth that are insulting? Or dehumanizing to other people, even as a follower of Jesus. You know, it's interesting, brothers. We claim to be followers of Jesus, Mm. and yet some of the most dangerous words can come out of our mouths. I increasingly hear Christians referring to other people as dogs or as hyenas or as uh, evil spirits or demons. Mm. Now, we know through the study of ethics that this language is the beginning of genocide. When we start talking about people as less than human, it becomes so easy for us to raise our hands and kill these people. Wow. And so the ambassador's body checkup calls us to look at our mouths and say, what are the words, the jokes, mm. the insults that are coming out of our mouths? Um, yeah. and I'll just mention as well, you know, our feet. Mm. When we look at the life of Jesus, he was friends with all of the wrong people in his society. <laughs> he was moving his feet and visiting mm. the political traitor uh the the tax collector he was Mm. visiting the the sinner the the person who was seen as um as worthless and as betraying of god the the prostitute jesus as as we were just talking about visited samaria he spent time he rooted his feet in the soil of that religious political and ethnic enemy so how are we today moving our feet Outside of those cultural comfort zones, outside of those boundaries of safety, where everyone thinks like me and talks Mm. like me. So, the neighbor love movement is reminding us, hey, look, we have this call Mm. to go outside of these boundaries. Then it's giving us a covenant to say, let's make a commitment to put this at the center of our lives. Mm. And then it's offering us these practices that can help start healing our bodies Mm. to actually practice this love. In our everyday personal Mm. and professional lives. And I just want to say that in Luke 10 28, Jesus says, Do this and you will live. Mm. It's one of the most extraordinary promises that Jesus gives. Mm. Um, Jesus says, When you love God and when you love the neighbor across every boundary, your life will come alive and it will have a quality of life that will never die. Mm. And we want to invite people into this to say, Let's not just have a religious identity let's enter into this quality of life that is truly alive
0: i love how practical it is you know like you know the biggest question that people always ask when it comes to how do we love our neighbor is how do we love our neighbor right (laughs) like just really down to earth really on a practical basis how do we do it and i just love you know um um the practices um that you were saying like even just starting from like our bodies you know so from your eyes to your ears to your mouth and then you just go like step by step you know uh i think the wow i'm just uh, i mean if you want to talk about about practicality like that is so practical the
3: neighbor love movement is not some big idea yeah it's not some kind of um, marketing scheme the neighbor love movement really is rooted in the movements of our actual bodies.
2: Mm. And
3: and when we move our bodies with and for other people, that's when the neighbor love movement is alive. And so it starts with each one of us. Mm. And this is a source of hope because each one of us can begin practicing this way of love with our families, with our friends, with, with our literal physical neighbors, with people in in our offices, um, and it's it's not a kind of part-time performance mm-hmm. it's a way of life
1: it's a way of being very ho- holistic way of being and and i'm what's what's coming up for me or, or what's kind of standing out for me is that in order to do this you have to choose to be present and our lives are so filled with constant motion and activities and productivity and, and doing things that if we fail to... When we... Oftentimes when we fail to see someone as a person is because we... probably reflects on how we see ourselves too. We are more workhorses, right? Than we are human beings. We're more human doings than we are human beings. And, and so I see this like holistic... Present way of being that inspires this um, neighbor love um,
3: practice. Absolutely, Marcus. I mean, that takes me back again mm-hmm. to Paul. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this mm-hmm. world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm-hmm. We live in a time that is hyper focused on productivity, mm-hmm. status, performance. Uh, going, going, going. And the neighbor love practice that we're talking about right now really requires silence, listening, presence, patience. And these are actually the fruit of the spirit. (laughs) Paul says Mm -hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are things that are not busy and rushed and Mm. driven here and there. These are things that grow out of a, a stillness yeah. and a presence, as you said, a capacity to be with God and with others. So absolutely, this is countercultural practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just a beginner myself.
1: Thanks for tuning into the Did You Podcast. This was the first episode of a two-part series with our guest, Andrew DeCourt. To find out more about Andrew's ministry, please visit the episode's show notes on our website,